number 10, 1 Kings chapter number 10. I appreciate the privilege of being here today. And uh, I'm glad that you're here in the house of God. That's where people of God are supposed to be on Sunday, right? And I am certainly privileged to have this opportunity. Uh, last night, I had multiple people come up to me when I was doing my thing, trying to get the day closed out. And I uh, kept hearing a phrase, phrases like this. You got some big shoes to fill? <laughs> I'm not trying to do that. And... Uh, at all. I'd be crazy to try to do that. It's kind of like the, uh, the roach and the giant that was walking across the, the swinging bridge. And they get to the other side of the swinging bridge and the roach looked up at the giant and said, we swung that bridge, didn't we? <laughs> so uh, where's Brother McBride at? Where's he at? There he is. Preacher. And I, didn't, I did not choose to do this. I got up this morning, Brother Todd Bell told me years ago, never underestimate the prompting of the Holy Ghost. Amen. I got up this morning, brother, and I took a shower and I washed my feet. And uh, I'm not wearing no shoes because I ain't trying to fill nobody's shoes. And I'm looking forward to hearing you this evening. And uh, I never preached barefooted before. I know people that do. But I'm not trying to fill your shoes, preacher. And I thank God for Brian McBride. But I'm going to preach, all right? 1 Kings chapter number 10, and I've been meditating on this all week long when the pastor asked me about this. Um, I had a million different feelings run through my head and my mind. But the York family, Sister Faith York, wrote that song, The Half Hasn't Been Told. And I wish they were here to sing it. And I got her permission. My wife texted her this morning and got her personal permission to sing that in service today. And that's what I'm going to preach on today. I want you to look at 1 Kings chapter number 10. And we're going to read verses 1 through 8. And I don't have the time to preach everything in this that would be appropriately done. But I'm going to do my best in the next few moments. And then we're going to go eat some good lunch, all right? 1 Kings chapter number 10 and verse number 1. The Bible says, And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord... She came to prove him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great train with camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all her questions. There was not anything hid from the king, which he told her not. When the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built and the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants and the attendance of his ministers and their apparel and his cupbearers and his ascent by which he went up unto the house of the Lord there was no more spirit in her. Now, if I understand that correctly, she basically passed out. A pretty embarrassing moment. And frankly, quite a humbling moment for the Queen of Sheba. 
she said to the king when she came around, it was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts, of thy wisdom. Howbeit I believe not the words until I came and mine eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men. Happy are these thy servants which stand continually before thee and that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God which delighteth in thee to set thee on the throne of Israel. By the way, I'm not preaching on this, but just as a commercial, we'd be crazy to think that the reason that we're here was anything outside of God's goodness to us. <laughs> you know that Pakistan has been watching this week and India has been watching this week and Uganda has been watching this week and Ghana has been watching this week and South America and Mexico and Asia and Africa and Europe and they're in places where in many cases if they knew, if the government knew they were watching this sherathon, they could go to prison. The half hadn't been told of just exactly what God's up to. And I don't have it figured out, but I, Brother Lamar, I want to be a part of it. <laughs> I want to pray together for just a minute and then we'll preach. Father, thank you so much for what you've done for us already this morning. Thank you for the good singing that we've heard. I thank you, Lord, for the blessing that you bestowed upon us. And this thought of the half never been told. Lord, I pray that you would give me the words that I need, the exact language that you'd have me to, dis to dispense from my lips today. May that be harnessed by the power of God and may we understand a little bit more about you before we leave this room today. God, you've been good to us. I don't fully understand everything, but I'm just going to preach what I know. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Do you know you can read this whole Bible through in 50 hours? If you're a fast reader, maybe 40. The whole Bible can be read through in two days. And yet there's 6,000 years worth of information in it. You can read everything that we know about the life of Christ in a couple of hours. And yet there's 33 years worth of it. It, 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 would be, it would be the best we could do to come up with some kind of an idea of just how good and how marvelous and how wonderful God is, but in our finite mind, we cannot comprehend it. And she wasn't saying half of it had been told. She was saying not even half of it had been told. Would you notice a few things? Some things that we know about the Word from the word regarding the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. We know a little bit, not all, but a little bit about the creation. Now that took place in seven days or six days of God laboring, but you look at what has come to pass over the past 6,000 years of God's creation running and moving on its own without any major hiccups. God in his great sovereignty and in his mighty power made all of creation in that period of time. And we haven't, has anybody in this room ever been to the whole world? I ain't even been to all of North Carolina yet. I remember the day that I got excited about going to Mount Airy and seeing the Andy Griffith in downtown Mayberry because I'd never been there. There's places that I've never been. There's places that you've never been. And God made every bit of it. 
and we don't even have a clue about it. There's places that the smartest men in the whole world can't even give you information about. You can read every encyclopedia. You can go and read a Wikipedia. You can go on the internet. I'm, I know that AI is smart, but you boys listen to me. AI may be smart, but they're not omniscient. They are not omniscient. They don't know everything. There's things that AI, artificial intelligence, does not know. There's times where Google will have no search results because they have hadn't even been told yet. Our minds cannot even come up and fathom how amazing God is. And even in his own creation, when he said those first four words, let there be light, the entire universe saluted and said, yes, sir. And the lights came on and they've been on ever since. Hallelujah. The half ain't even been told. I don't even know. I can't count the stars in the sky. And my boys have noticed too this week they ain't never noticed before. Why? Because half hadn't been told. We don't even know what's out there. The creation. Then there's those Old Testament Christophanies, and I don't have time for all that. Uh, that we could talk all day about when Jesus showed up in the Old Testament. Last night I was meditating on. I thought about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the little bit we know about that story, and how that the king looked in the furnace and saw Jesus standing there with Hananiah, Azariah, and Michelle, and they said the fourth is like unto the Son of God. Uh, we know that story, but there's so much more that Jesus did for so many in the Old Testament. We can't count it. We can't write it. We can't transcribe it. They've tried for years to figure it out and the half still hadn't been told. I thought about the cradle. Oh my. When Jesus was born in a manger, there's nothing more fantastic than the story of somebody being born. I love to hear stories of people coming and saying, hey, I, while we were, I was sitting over there at my desk this week and I got a, that picture from Middle Cross and my good friend brother Garrett Fox that plays upright bass and sings that high tenor. He sent me a picture of his new baby laying on a flat top guitar. You know what he's doing? He's telling me a story about his new baby. The birth of Christ was so fabulous and fantastic and important that God, that God put a star. I was born at Memorial Mission Hospital and three of my four children were born there and never had a star over top of us because half hadn't been told yet. It was so fantastic and fabulous that those wise men came from afar and traveled and made a great investment, stopped everything that they had to just go and see what it was. And when they got there, it was greater than anything they'd ever experienced in their whole life because they'd heard a little bit, but they hadn't heard it all and they didn't know it until they got there. Now, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but there's things that I've heard about when it comes to my Lord, but you can tell me all day long, I want to get in on it myself. I want to I experience it. I want to feel it. I want to faith it. I want to be in on it. Hallelujah. Because half hadn't been told yet. We don't know. We don't know it all. I thought about his course. The course of Jesus Christ and everything that he did. I must be about my father's business, he said. And then when he came out on the scene, his second cousin stood up with locusts and wild honey dripping out of his mouth, clothed in camel skin, and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. And the half hadn't even been told yet. We don't even know everything he's done yet. John, John talked about it. And if anybody knew him, it was him. And all he could say was, Behold, the Lamb of God 
which taketh away the sin of the world. We've been waiting on this for a long time, and here he is. <laughs> the half hadn't been told. Thought about his cross. Now, we know some about the cross. We were promised the cross in Genesis 3. Isaiah told us his insight on it and David gave us insight on it. We know what they foresaw in it. We know what Matthew and Mark and Luke and John gave us their testimony of the cross and we know what Paul testified about the cross. We know some about the cross, but oh my, explain this to me and I'll move on, but explain this to me. How in the world, I've talked to nurses about this and doctors about this because I preached a whole series on this at my church last year. How in the world do you have a man that starts bleeding from his sweat pores on Tuesday? Starts bleeding. Well, there's six pints. Where's Kim? Six pints of blood in the body, something like that. How in the world does a man bleed? Starting bleeding out his sweat pores. By the way, look just like the red heifer when they showed up. Covered in red. He was it. Those soldiers came around the corner with Judas dragging him along and said, right there. He didn't even have to point. He was covered. His sweat was as great drops of blood. He bled from there all the way to Praetorium where they whipped him. He bled from there to the crown of, cor- the crown of thorns being smacked into his head. They beat him, they dragged him, they scourged him. He hung and dripped for hours and never ran out of blood. I don't even think he ran out of half of it. The half hadn't been told of what Jesus Christ did for us and the work he did on Calvary's cross. I can tell you what he did for me 35 years ago on a Wednesday night. Short preacher about that tall by the name of Harold Ray preached a message that I don't even remember, Sister Faye. I don't remember what he said but it was enough for the Holy Ghost to crack open my soul and to stick his hand in there and tell me that I needed to get saved. Went home that night to the Coach Crest Trailer Park right across the road uh, from uh, Square D Plant on on Adams Hill Road in Asheville. Went down that hill, I was under conviction, riding around in my mom and dad's blue Ford Escort, got out of the car, walked into a single wide trailer, the second one on the left, I can't tell you much, Brother A.G., about that year of my life. I can't. That's 35 years ago. Long years ago, when out in sin, I had no hope, no peace within. Down on my knees in agony, I prayed to Jesus and he gladly set me free. I never shall forget the day when all the burdens of my soul were rolled away. It made me happy, glad, and free. I'll sing and shout it for he's everything to me. I don't remember a lot about that year, Brother R.R., but I remember getting born again, hallelujah. Came in the door, Brother Parker. My sister went to the right, to the bedroom. It's Wednesday night. My mom and dad were tired. And I looked at my daddy and I remember saying these words, I need to get saved. My dad knelt with me on a brown octagonal linoleum floor next to a tan-colored two-cushioned couch. And I put my face in the couch. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to do. But God Almighty saved my soul that night. I can't tell you what he did for me. I don't understand that. 
I was bad enough to go to hell a million times. But God Almighty did a work. He did the same thing for you. And if you remember the day you got saved, you get happy about it too. We all deserve hell. We all deserve death. But God, but God, but God. Hallelujah. I know just a little bit about how bad I was. I don't know nothing about how bad you were. There's some things that I that y'all have mentioned about your testimony. Some of you have said, I, I did this and I did that. But only the God of heaven knows how really, really bad we were. Oh, the drunk on the street, the rich in the palaces, the poor and unlearned. We talk about all them, but we're all made out of dirt. Man born a woman, few days and full of trouble. Don't matter if he's passed out in a ditch, absolutely out of his mind drunk, or if he's sitting on the front pew with a tie on. Man needs Jesus. And we don't even know the half of it yet, just how bad we need him. I began to think about <laughs> leading captivity captive. Oh, we know a little bit about that story, Brother McBride. The Bible tells us a little bit about him going down there and getting them out. And it's good camp meeting preaching to try to, try to guess and try to hypothesize on what took place. But I'll tell you a little bit of what, about what I do know. I do know there was a crowd left in hell. And I do know there was a, a number of people going all the way back to Adam and Eve that were waiting that were waiting on the coming Messiah to take them to a heavenly place of which they'd never been. And on that day, I, I don't know, I, I don't know, I don't know. There's some stuff I know about it. I don't know, I don't know. If, I mean, I would love to say he kicked the door of paradise open. I'd love to say that, but I don't have a verse for that. I don't know what to tell you. I just know that they were there and now they're there. <laughs> Brother Cole, could be by the end of the day. We might just be over there. <laughs> and we don't even know everything that's going to happen yet. We don't even know. Because the half hadn't been told yet. Oh, my. We'll testify for eternity. What about the carrying away of Jesus Christ on the hillside? We know a little bit about that. But he's the only man. He'd done some things that only he did. And I've never seen clouds descend out of the sky and form hands. And the Bible says received him out of their sight. Now I know a little bit about that. I don't know everything there is to know about it. I, I can imagine in my head maybe what it looked like that day. But the half ain't even been told. I, the angels are fussing. Why stand you here gazing? Well, if that had happened in front of me, I'd have been staring at it too. We got people looking at a Chinese balloon for a week. If Jesus Christ was floating on a cloud, I'd be staring at it till he went out of sight as well. You know why? They were looking at the man, one of them that caught him out of his life of, of being an old rough fisherman. One of them was a, a tax collector. They had stories to tell. Jesus Christ had redeemed their soul and changed their life with his ministry. They were adoring him. But the simple human shock of their eyeballs Never seen a man fly before. Oh, oh, we don't even know how to talk about it. The clouds got him. Well, that's the creator of the clouds. He's standing on the hillside. I don't know if he whistled at him. Or, come on. Can I personify for just a minute? 
don't have a verse for it, but the, the clouds, if I was a cloud, and I'm not, but Amelia, if I was a cloud, and Jesus said, I'd like to stand on you, I would say, yes, sir, where you want me? Mr. Cloud, c come right here, and I'm going to stand on you right there. <laughs> he changed the barometric pressure of the atmosphere. You know why? Because on day two of creation, he created the atmosphere. He had no problem telling him what to do, and he's fixing to do it again. In like manner, as ye have seen him go, one of these, that's why I'm looking for a cloud. Amen. A glory cloud, brother. Hey, a glory cloud. Looking for my way out of here. The half hasn't been told about his carrying away. The half hasn't been told about the comforter that he left with us. The half hasn't been told about his coming. We're going to be with him when he comes back. The half hasn't been told of his command of the earth with a rod of iron. The half hasn't been told about his condemnation of the devil. And by the way, <laughs> we have a law in this country that you can't double jeopardize somebody. If they've, been, if they've been pronounced not guilty for a crime, they can never be pronounced guilty of that again. Jesus has so surpassed the devil that he's going to condemn him twice. He's going to give him a thousand year sentence the first time and then cast him in the lake of fire the second time. We're not only winners and we're therefore now under no condemnation. But the devil's so condemned that he's going to go to jail for it twice. And we don't even know the half of it yet. Can you imagine this world for a thousand years without the devil? We don't know the half of the changing of the universe when he brings out the new heaven and the new earth. We would love to hypothesize and to theorize and to think about it. And there is some information that we have about it, but the half hasn't even been told yet and we'll know more about it by and by. Did you know, my friend, did you know that whatever he does, we're going to get to see it? We haven't seen this part of it, but this part... We're going to see all that. There's more in this than we know of in that. And the half of it hadn't been told yet. And I was thinking about our scripture here. John the Blood said at the beginning of his gospel, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he said at the end of his gospel, there are also many other things which Jesus did, the which if they were written, every one, I suppose... I love how human this is. I suppose the world. I've been to the Alexandrian Library, Brother Whittemore, in Alexandria, Egypt. Multiple levels, elevators, stairs. They got a lot of information in there. But John said if you build a library that covered the whole world, couldn't tell what he did and what he's up to. He said, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. God is bigger than our minds, our finite minds can comprehend. And in these last couple of minutes, I want you to look back at this text. And I'm going to try to show you exactly, this is a type, a picture of the relationship of Jesus Christ 
and the church and sinners coming to know Christ. And we're going to get to all that here in a minute. Years ago, a friend of mine came to the United States of America for the first time. I met him through another friend of mine in South Carolina that was training him in the Baptist faith on the Internet. I preached a missions conference at Choice Hills Baptist Church in Greenville, South Carolina. And after the service, a short little man about that tall came up to me and he asked me if I would help him with a preacher in Pakistan. Hey, at the time, I was a young preacher, very, very much nervous about dealing with people in Pakistan. Bought a plane ticket, he came over here. Brother Blanton, I'm driving to Atlanta in the doodlebug to pick up this short, Arabic-looking Pakistani. Not, he's not Arabic, but a Pakistani with a backpack in an airport. Some of the stuff that we get put up to around here, if you're not bleeding by the end of the day, you're really not doing much of anything. I walked it. You know how big Atlanta is, and I'm looking for this guy. I finally found him. He was scared to death. Didn't, even, didn't know how to really even talk. He's proficient in English, typing and writing. Brother Akbar, many of you know him. He got on the doodlebug. We drove home. It was so awkward because he couldn't hardly talk and and. He's, you know, everything. And I looked in the rear, he was sitting in the back, and I looked in the rearview mirror, and I said, uh, Brother Akbar, I said, do you need anything? This is what he said. It's at the beginning of his trip here. He said, I need an oven. Oven. And I'm thinking, Mrs. Barton is not going to let, Ak he's living in the building here. He's not going to let Akbar use the, o the oven. So in my mind, I'm thinking, okay, why does, I want to make him comfortable. I want to do my best to, to do the, everything I can for this guy. And I said, why, why do you need an oven? He said, I want to make toast. No toast, that's no problem, $9.99. We get a toaster at Walmart. I took him to Walmart, walked in. He couldn't believe the place, walked in, took him, got him, got him his first toaster. I took him down to the pastor, it used to be the pastor's office at the end of the hallway on the left. Took him in that room, plugged the toaster in. He'd never seen it before. Put two pieces of bread in it, pushed the button down, and I said, now look at it real close. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm that guy. And uh, I said, get real close to it. Pop, he jumped back. He said, what that? I said, that's your toast. He pulled that out of there. And I'll skip the rest of it. Went to the end of, the, of his journey. He was going back home. Me and my wife and my kids had him in our car. And we were just trying to take him around. And I said, Brother Akbar, you're going home now. Is there anything you need? That's what he said, Brother Locklear. He said, shoes vis a -vis. He was trying to speak English. I'll never forget it. My, kid, my wife and our kids that are old enough would remember him. Shoes vis a -vis. I asked him. Uh, I asked him. I tried my best. I couldn't understand what he was saying. Was it me or you figured it out? You figured it out, didn't you? She said, my wife said, he's wanting shoes with wheels. He said, yes, yes, shoes vis a -vis. His son wanted Heelys. So we're calling them all in Asheville. They had none. We found some in Greenville, drove all the way down 25, gone on the interstate, took them in the mall. He'd never seen anything like that. Walked into the shoe store. They had one pair trying to figure out a Pakistani shoe size in a shoe store in Greenville, South Carolina. <laughs> he got him. Listen, I'm getting somewhere. 
got back in the car going back up the mountain. I looked in the rearview mirror, Sister Christy again. I looked at him and I said, Brother Akbar, because I've been wanting to ask him this for weeks, Brother Whittemore. I said, Brother Akbar, according to statistics, if you're in a room with 100 people from your country, 98 of them want to cut your throat. 98 out of 100 people are God-hating, infidel-hating, Jesus-hating Muslims. Are you not afraid? I'll never forget this moment for the rest of my life. He looked in that rear view at me. He cocked his head sideways in a humble and meek spirit. He cleared his throat. Oh, God is big. And changed the subject. Started talking about something else. And my mind calling this, my mind is blown. Because I'm like, this guy could get, he may not even make it to his hometown from the airport. And all he could say is that God is big. And now he's got Blessed Hope Baptist Church and Blessed Hope Baptist School and a billboard on the street. He don't care what they say because he knows that God is bigger than anything he could ever imagine. And the Queen of Sheba packs up her stuff and she says, so you're telling me there's a man with all of this? Take me to him now. And all the servants started gathering their stuff and packing her stuff. She gets loaded up. Look at verse number one. When the queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. Number one, this is what I see is the gospel of Christ. Every time I've knocked on a door or been with somebody that was even interested in having a conversation with me about a witness, they got a bunch of hard questions. They want to start gomming around with it. They want to try to prove me wrong, that the Bible's wrong, that it's outdated, that it's archaic, that it's not real. I'm telling you what. Somebody said, uh, are you a King James Bible defender? Well, yeah, I'm a King James Bible defender. Can you tell me why it's authentic? Well, I can give you some information, but I don't need to tell you why it's authentic because I believe it by faith. But a lost person such as the Queen of Sheba could not imagine in her mind everything that she'd been told even being halfway close. So she's going to go see it for herself. That's the gospel. Then number two, in verse number two, the goodness of man. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train with camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious stones. You know what she's trying to do? She's trying to impress Solomon. She'd heard about all that he had. She said, load it up. Get five of those, 10 of those, 12 of those, one of those. Get two of those. Seven of those. Load them up. We're going to show Solomon what big really is. I know a lot of people that were that way before they got saved. Oh, yeah, Jesus, really? Well, I'm going to show Jesus who I am and what I am and what I have. None of that works. It don't even work for the devil. After he calmed the storm and they landed their boat on the other side and Jesus stepped off and there was the maniac of Gadara, they immediately humbled themselves before God. The devil himself, the prince of the power of the air, knows that he can't handle one second in the presence of the creator. We've got to get it in our mind just how big he is and how little we are. And when we get there, we'll be in a good spot. Number three, not only the gospel of Jesus Christ and the supposed goodness of man, number three, there's the grace of salvation. Verse three, Solomon told her all her questions there was not anything hid from the king which he told her not. Look back at the end of verse 2. When she come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. It became a heart conversation. You know why? Because immediately, immediately, 
She knew she was outweighed, outsized, out everything. And when you get in the presence of God immediately, when God shows up immediately, you know he's bigger than me. He's smarter than me. His way is perfect. He's the way, the truth, and the life. I might as well just throw away every idea I have. I've went to God with plans and diagrams and formulas and I've said, okay, God, is this all right? We're, we're humans. We're pretty, we got brains. Brother Ray Aiken said, God, don't make no junk from this pulpit. God doesn't make junk. There's some smart people in this room and I know you're smart. But let me tell you something. The half ain't even been told about how omniscient God is. And when we have, we have a plan, if it's okay with God, it's because he put it in there. If God approves my plan, it's because it came from him. She gets there. She immediately realizes that that camel's load is not nothing compared to his camel's load. That wagon's load is not nothing compared to what he's got. And immediately, the grace of her heart communicated with the grace of the king's heart. That happened to me 35 years ago. My heart needed grace. I didn't know what I was going to do, but the grace of his heart put grace in my heart. And I'm about done. Number four, verse four. Not only the grace of salvation, but lastly, the greatness of Jesus Christ. Verse four. And when the queen of Sheba, listen now, the queen of Sheba had seen all of Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built and the meat at his table, and the sitting of his servants, and the attendance of his ministers, and their apparel, and his cupbearers, and his ascent by which he went up unto the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. In other words, when you come to the place where you realize just how big he is, and how unbig, is that a word? We are. You're going to get somewhere. In this greatness of Christ, we see his wisdom. It says when the queen of Sheba had seen all of Solomon's wisdom, that's a picture of the wisdom of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you something. We can't figure it out. I'm 40. Hey, I, I turned 40 this year. I ain't got it figured out. When I was 20, I thought I did. When we were unloading everything from Acousta, I had all you on the uh, leadership program been there, done that. I was in the tractor trailer with this pastor right here. I'm going to tell you, he might not even remember this. We're on the way over there. He said, now we've got to get everything out of that building. Nicholas, I looked at him and I said, I'm a licensed forklift driver. You let me handle the forklift. I remember this conversation. I had to yell it because the diesel engine. That you let me handle the forklift and I'll make sure everything gets loaded exactly where you want it. It's probably 19 or 20. I was a licensed forklift operator. As a matter of fact, I was a licensed forklift trainer. Because at the farmer's market, nobody else was sober. Are y'all okay? I'm just, call Jimmy Page, ask him. That's just the truth. I had the card in my pocket. He nodded at me. He gave me enough grace. Thank God. Thank God for grace. Brother Blanton, you were with us. That man right there is a slave driver. Brother Tommy, I got in the forklift and I put it in drive, and I'm doing my thing. I could probably do it blindfolded with one hand, maybe one finger. Picked up the, picked up the forks and started heading across the parking lot. There was a, there was a sidewalk that was going to go down and turn left into the building, and we had to pull the kitchen out, the whole kitchen. Get on the sidewalk. Eyes probably whistling something. One tire, Brother McBride. 
went off the left side of that sidewalk into the mud. One tire. Not four. One. I didn't have a stroke, but I almost had a stroke. You don't put, the tires don't have no tread on them. I floored it. You can smell propane from here all the way to Alaska. The hole got deeper. The forklift went thump. And I'm stuck. You know why? Because I thought I knew what I was doing. And every time I get up in the face of my God and I tell him, Lord, you let me handle that right there. I got it. A few minutes later, boom. I'm done. We don't have a clue, Brother Horton. We ain't figured it out. We don't know. Usually you're the one that fixes it back then. I'm going to call Brother Horton, get us out. We, we got to figure something out. You know why? Because we can't handle it, but he can. He can. He can. He can. He can. He's got it figured out. There was the wisdom. There was his ways. Look at what it said. The queen of Sheba had seen all of Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built. Psalm 127, you remember Solomon built a great house. You know why? Because his daddy told him. In Psalm 27, it says at the introduction of the psalm, a song of degrees for Solomon. And guess what it says? You can quote it with me. Except the Lord build a house. They labor in vain that build it. So guess what? When Solomon built his house, he let God build it for him. And when the queen of Sheba got there, she saw, wow. How did he get a house like this? I don't know the half of it, but I can tell you pretty much. If God's in on it, it was the best house it's ever been. Well, I've been to the Biltmore house. You ain't been to Solomon's house. <laughs> Brother Arnold Woodard took me to, took me to um, John Wayne's property in Durango, Mexico. And he said, right out there in that pile of mud was where John Wayne filmed all his movies in that mansion. There ain't no mansion there now. I said, what happened to it? He said, the government bulldozed it. They could have sold tickets and let people in there look at it. They bulldozed it because they didn't want it. They got rid of it. They buried it. You know, it was a big, nice house. Oh, no, friend. You can try to have stuff. You can try to have ideas. You can try to do things. You can fill up one barn, then the next barn, then the next barn. But if you don't let God build your house, you're laboring in vain, my friend. There's coming a day that God's going to burn it all. He's going to disintegrate this whole mess. And you and I are going to live for eternity in his house. Hallelujah. There's the wisdom, the ways. There's the word. He said in the meat of his table. And then there's the workers. <laughs> the sitting workers. They were everywhere waiting to serve. Can you imagine a, a king that's got enough servants that some of them are just sitting there waiting on him to snap his fingers or say a word? They'll jump up and run. That's how many servants he had. The work was already being done. He had so many servants. He had a backlog of them. Sitting servants. She looked around the room and she said, well, that, that one's taking care of that and that one's taking care of that. He's got a bunch sitting here in case he needs more. They're there. And about, I'm a, This is a commercial, by the way. If you're waiting on the Lord, it's okay. He'll call your attention shortly. Just be a sitting servant. That's another message. There's the sitting servant. Then there's the attending. Listen to what it says now. The attending ministers. 
They're at Solomon's command currently. Then there was the cup bearers who were close enough to the king to touch him. Oh, the workers. But then there's the worship. It said his ascent by which he went up unto the house of the Lord. You know what? He showed him all, showed the Queen of Sheba all the stuff, testimony of God, and then guess where they went? They didn't go tour the kingdom. They didn't go look at other stuff. They went to the house of the Lord and she watched him do three things. She watched him as he started down and then had to go up. Real worship does that, by the way. You start down and then you go up. She watched as he put forth an effort. He took time out of his day. He took time out of his leadership role and his command to go down to the house of God and put forth the worship. There was an effort given. But then there was a demand of faithfulness that God requires out of us. In verse 6, she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard of mine own land, of thy acts and thy wisdom. Howbeit I believed not the words until I came and mine eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Verse 8. Happy. I couldn't leave this out. Happy why? Three reasons. Ready? And then I'll shut the Bible. Three reasons that they were happy. Happy, number one, because of our owner. He said, happy are, what's those two words? Thy men. <laughs> Who's all them belong to? That's the king's men. Well, what about them 500 over there? That's the king's men. Well, there's a thousand back yonder. We're, that's, the, that's, that's more of the king's men. I hope when they come into Anchor Baptist Church or Wahoo Baptist Church or Arrington Branch Baptist Church that they look around and say, that's the people of God right there. And when you realize that you're one of his people, oh, the psalmist said, we're we're his people and the sheep of his pasture. Then he told us what to do about it. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endureth to all generations. Why? Because we're his people. I don't need to show you my new suit color. I don't need to show you anything about me. We're his people and we're dirty old sheep out in the mud. But when it comes time, we go into the gates of thanksgiving and praise, blessing his name for his goodness, his mercy, and his endurance to all generations. Happy because of our owner, happy because of our opportunity. It's standing right here. Happy are thy men, which are these thy servants. They stand continually before thee. Well, I'm going to pause right here and tell you we don't deserve this. We hadn't earned this. We didn't pay for this. God gave it to us. Hallelujah. My salvation was not bought with a check, swiped with a card, piled up with cash. There was a night that freely he gave, freely he gave, freely he gave, and you received. Hallelujah. And the opportunity to stand by and serve, whether you're mopping the floor or preaching to a million, is the biggest opportunity anybody's ever had in your whole life. Yes, yes. Hallelujah! Yes. 
I said hallelujah. <laughs> Woo, Brother A.G., you ministering to all those people all over the country. I said hallelujah. Glory to God. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Glory, Brother Lamar. You dealing with people here, people there, making the... Lord have mercy, the best brisket I ever put in my mouth. Them people in South Dakota better get saved after eating that. Hell, I ain't kidding you. God's, I'm not being sacrilegious. God's food's better than anybody else's. I didn't have to go down to a bar yesterday and sit down with a bunch of drunks to get good brisket. I got it at church. Hallelujah. Preaching to a million, cooking brisket or singing songs, it don't matter. God's got you in a spot. You're doing his work and that's enough to shout and run around the country. Hallelujah. Getting to do the work of God. The work of God. The work of God. You're you're getting to do the work of God. Woo! Brother Barnett, the work of God. Oh, Brother Wheeler. Oh, all the little kids. I look at Brother Wheeler and they're like, kid, can I do that with my fingers? Oh. And you say, yeah, yes, son. I mean, Mark Wheeler. The Mark Wheeler. And he's sitting down with a 10-year-old saying, now, son, if you'll push that string right there, guess what he's doing? He's doing the work of God. Glory <laughs> to God. <laughs> Nicholas, every man in your shop knows you're God's man. The people of God, right? All the pulpit gets the lights. And the shiny stage. And I thank God for preachers. But oh my, you're all his people. <laughs> That's it. Happy because of our owner. Happy because of our opportunity. And happy because of our options. Happy are the men. Happy are thy men. Happy are these thy servants. Which stand continually before thee and... This is, where, this is where the altar call comes in. And that hear thy wisdom. Hear thy wisdom. Amen. I'm not happy today. Is that your testimony? I'm not happy. You need to hear his wisdom. Amen. I'm a, I'm, I love the English language. I love it. I look at every word in the Bible. I look at the commas, the, the, the periods. I look at all of it. The first two words of the verse, Brother Locklear, happy. What's the next one? Look at it. Say it out loud. What tense is that? When is that? I want to be happy. There's days that I'm not happy. I'm not tell, I'm telling you, there are days that I ain't happy. But when I bring myself around, Brother Jacob, to the feet of the king, my goal ain't no good. My camels ain't tall enough or long enough or humpy enough. And I, I go to the Lord. He shows me his goodness. David said, I had fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord and land to live. And last verse, Psalm 27, you know what that means? That means he had to force himself to remember just how good God had been to him. 
or he was going to die. He's ready to die, except he forced himself to remember what God had did for him and his family. And you may be here today and you're depressed about Fox News and the Drudge Report and everything going on out there today. I'm here today today, the people of God, I can't even understand everything I know. I don't even know the half of it, but the people of God ought to be the most happy people alive. Jesus, I love you and I thank you for the good presence of the Spirit of God in this meeting this week. And I pray, oh God, that you'd help us and encourage us and strengthen us for the journey ahead to be happy in you because the half hasn't been told. We pray these things in Jesus' name with heads bowed and eyes closed. The pastor's coming to the pulpit.